the sermon text. The sermon text for this morning is Matthew 13, 24 through 43. Jesus said, uh, or yeah. he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, I wandered down to my garden that I've spoken about quite a bit 
from this pulpit, but I wanted to go inspect the fruits, the vegetables, I guess, the fruitfulness of my garden and uh, see how much we had to eat. And when I approached my garden, I realized how terrible of a job we have done with weed control this year. We planted our garden in a new spot that in a new plot of land that somehow was already infested with tons of weeds. And we tried to control them early on by weeding, pulling the weeds and hoeing and tilling over and over. And I just got so tired of it that after a few weeks, I decided, I think the plants are doing well enough. I'm just going to let them grow. Let the weeds go. I think the vegetables will survive. But my goodness, did those weeds ever take over the garden. Some plots of, or parts of the garden had so many weeds, you couldn't even tell what was there. Like my watermelon vines should have been clear all over one area, but just grass everywhere. And I was sick of it. So I was determined to go and get those weeds out of there and see nothing but bare black dirt and watermelon vines all over the place. So I start grabbing and pulling, throwing up to the side of the garden, this huge pile of weeds building up. And as I glance at the pile of weeds, I notice, uh-oh, there's a bunch of watermelon vines in there too. This isn't so good. So I was a little more careful, but I was so determined. I got that thing clean and my watermelons are still alive. We'll see, I think, how, whether we have some to here in the next couple of weeks. But our dill didn't survive, didn't fare so well. We had a couple dozen plants of dill and now we're down to one that none of them survived the weed pulling adventures. And such is the battle of gardening, trying to keep the weeds at bay. And sometimes our lives are like these weeds that are growing constantly. It's this huge battle. They're crowding in, choking us out, stealing our nutrients, this life-sustaining nutrition that we need. They're blocking our sunlight. We feel like we can barely survive. I feel this way a lot over the last year, as many of you know, and I know many of you in this room today feel like the weeds of life are crowding in. Anxiety grips you out of nowhere and you can hardly do anything throughout the day. Trial after trial hits your family. The death of a loved one, just the memory of it, even if it was five years ago, suddenly comes upon you and leaves it hard for you to breathe. Or you feel like the whole system of the world is stacked against you, working to keep you down. And all of these questions, we always ask ourselves two questions. Why and how long? Why is this happening? Why is there such pain and suffering in the world? If God is good and he loves me, why is he letting this happen? Or how long? Okay, maybe he's good and he's going to help me endure this. But how long do I have to wait? If I have to wait long, too long, I think it's going to overcome me. Is that going to happen? Is injustice and evil going to overtake me? And our parables today are just the answers we need for those questions to give us faith, to help us endure, to show us that God is at work and he will be victorious in our behalf. So before we explore our parables, let's go to God and ask him to give us ears to hear. Father, how can we understand and embrace your truth? How can we survive 
the attacks of the enemy, the infiltration of the weeds, unless you are with us, unless you provide miraculous, life-giving sustenance. Open our eyes to see that you are at work. Open our ears to hear that you are calling us to remain faithful. In Christ's name, amen. So our main idea that we're going to explore this morning through these parables is that the kingdom seed will prevail and yield abundant joy. No matter what's going on in your life, what trials you're facing, the darkness and injustice that pushes in, the kingdom seed will prevail and one day produce abundant joy. We're going to track through this long text, hopefully rather quickly, in three parts. First, we want to understand why there's such difficulty in the world by seeing the devil's evil scheme. And then be assured with confidence that God's righteous plan is unfolding. And finally, receive hope to endure to the end in God's guaranteed victory. Last week, Jake summarized for us how we got to this point in the parables. We've been going through the whole book of Matthew, and right at the beginning, it started off with this idea of the kingdom, with Jesus following in the the lineage of the great King David. He's the king they long for, and he's finally ushering in the kingdom. And he looks like a king. He's confident like a king. He walks and talks like a king. He and his associates, wherever they go, they're proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Gather in to the king. It seems like everything Israel ever wanted, everything they had been promised, is finally coming true. And yet here we are, with a bunch of people opposing him, fighting him, arguing with him. Or they just have apathy, like, meh, big deal. What kind of kingdom is this? Why aren't people jumping at this opportunity? The disciples surely are confused. We should have tons of people gathering to hear God's word and to be made righteous in him. Where is everybody? Instead, they're all fighting. And so chapter 13 is full of these kingdom of heaven parables explaining to us why there's so much opposition. It's important for us to remember that parables often have one purpose. They want you to have one idea to take away. It's a big story or maybe a a short one that has just one quick hitting point that you would walk away and remember that with clarity. So we don't go into every parable and start analyzing all the details and say that's this full picture of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is so glorious, so beautiful, multifaceted, that it takes tons of different stories and parables to explain it. Similarly, the imagery of a parable doesn't always translate outside the parable. For example, Jake's sermon last week, he preached on the parable of the four soils, And in that parable, the seed was the gospel itself, and people were the soils. Yet in our parable today, the seed are people, and the whole field is the world. So they don't exactly translate. Or we have the parable of the leaven in today's text. Some cases in the Bible, leaven represents sin and evil. How it permeates, it spreads all over. But we can't take that same understanding into this parable, because now it represents the kingdom righteousness spreading where sin once did. So we must interpret all of the details within each story, but they do interrelate. Now, 
you know that when, when you're suffering, if you've ever suffered anything great and someone comes along and pats you on the back and says, don't worry, it's going to be all right. That, that's not the most encouraging news to hear. You think, they say, one day God's going to make it all right. And you're just really struggling. I can't see right in front of me. It looks like I could die tomorrow. I just want to quit. And you're telling me, it's going to be all right. It seems like that's what Jesus is doing here, saying, no, don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. But they're wondering, why doesn't God do something? Where is he? And so he tells these, this parable to help us understand. Let's explore them and find out how he answers the disciples' confusion. Remember, they're trying to understand where in the world all this opposition come from. Why aren't people jumping on board? And so he reminds them with this parable, it's not that simple. There's an enemy out there who's following me around. I plant good seeds and he comes and tries to plant weeds right next to it. But you don't have to fear because God is going to take care of it in the end. He's going to bring justice. So we'll take a look at verses 24 to 30, and I'll just summarize them as we kind of walk through them and see how he draws out this confidence that the wheat, the wheat will survive. So he says the kingdom of heaven is similar to a man who goes out into his field and he works hard all day long. He's got a bag full of seeds and he spreads it all over the field, working hard, just pouring out a sweat, and he gets back to home and he's satisfied in his good hard work. I know I'm going to have an abundant harvest this year. I'm going to be able to feel, feel excuse me, feed the entire village with all of this. So he lays his head down and he sleeps, thankful for God's vision in his life, confident God will provide. But while he's sleeping, someone sneaks in and plants a bunch of weeds in his field. These weeds at first look a lot like the wheat. They look very similar. When they first grow up, they have the same color stalks, the same size. But after a while, you'll come to realize that they're a little different. They have different grain heads. They will, these grain heads are actually poisonous if you eat them. And so the enemy is up to something quite dastardly. He's hoping the weeds take over the whole field so to put the farmer out of business, just to destroy him. And if they don't, maybe the farmer will get confused and harvest them anyway and eat them and get sick. Either way, this guy has it out for the farmer. He wants to destroy his life. Man, that is some kind of spite. Imagine some guy saving up a bunch of money to buy weed seeds. Where do you even buy weed seeds? Or he's spending day after day walking around collecting just enough weed seeds to fill a bag so that he can then stay up all night long when everyone else should be sleeping to spread weeds all over. Boy, this guy must really hate the farmer. That intense hatred seems so unlikely to manifest itself in the real world. Who would do that? But it apparently was somewhat common in the ancient world. The Roman Empire actually had laws about how to deal with these types of situations where someone lost their field due to someone bringing weeds in. Actually, this is a pretty clever way of trying to obtain your neighbor's property. 
you sneak in there and plant a bunch of seeds, weeds in his field, and then the harvest comes and the guy's got nothing. He can't harvest anything. He can't go sell all the wheat in order to feed his family. He's done. The only thing he has left to do is sell his field in order to feed his family just for that year. He's walking around going, what am I going to do? I think all I have is to sell my field. And then sure enough, comes the neighbor. Oh, hey, what'd you say? You want to sell your land? Well, you see, you're kind of in desperate straits. All I've got is this amount of money in my pocket. And so he cleverly steals the land. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that some dastardly enemy is trying to steal his kingdom. But Jesus knows that will not happen. That cannot happen. The disciples are still worried, though. Uh, maybe this is going to work. We should probably go and uproot those weeds and get them out. He says, no. The farmer says, leave them, and I'll send the reapers in later to take care of them, to burn them, so they will never threaten this land again, and the wheat can flourish. And so we see from this story that the opposition to Jesus' work in the world, the opposition that we experience in his kingdom in this life, are the result of someone who has snuck in and tried to destroy it. Sure, this wonderful news of the kingdom of God, the good news is exciting. Who wouldn't want to grasp it? But there's an enemy who's working to keep people from knowing it, from understanding it, and from enjoying it. And Jesus says this battle will continue until the day he returns and sends his reapers to sort it all out. But until then, he gives us confidence. The weeds will not take over. We will survive. But then we're asking the question, really? You're just saying, hang in there. Someday you're going to survive. What about right now? Where is God right now? So with this doubt lingering, Jesus quickly moves to another parable to say, there's more to be said. The next two parables of, and this prophecy in the next few verses are just the answer to this heart of, where is God today? Where is my joy now? When is God going to show up and do something? So let's see the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests as branches. So the point of this parable is quite obvious. You have this little mustard seed that looks kind of unassuming. It's, it's weak and fragile. It's tiny. You could lose it quickly. But it will become the biggest plant in the entire garden. The kingdom is like this small, fragile mustard seed. Jesus and his disciples, they don't look like some revolutionary army that's going to go conquer Israel and the whole world. They hang out with ragtag people, with the hurting and broken people. They don't fight back against slanderous attack. They just keep taking it. But Jesus said, this is just the seed that contains something far bigger than anyone can imagine. It's a kingdom that will be so large that people will come from all over the world to find their rest and refuge there. 
And some skeptics like to point out, Jesus said that the mustard seed is the smallest seed of all. And so they say, oh, come on, we know 2,000 years later, there are much, much smaller seeds. So you can't trust Jesus. He says he's God, and he tells you he knows everything, but he doesn't even know this basic biological fact. So why don't you give up this journey of Christianity and just go home? But that is just a ridiculous, silly distraction from Jesus' point. He's not trying to argue how he knows which seed is the smallest in the world. He's coming to his disciples and saying, here's a bag full of different kinds of seeds. Open the seed packet, plant those over there. Open this one and plant those over there. Be careful of that, those really little mustard seeds. They're, they're the tiniest of all in there. But also give it some space in the garden. You might not realize this, but that one's going to grow up to be the biggest one in all of the garden. The point is that the smallest seed in the entire garden is going to grow to be the biggest plant. This tiny kingdom that's just arriving on the scene will fill the entire earth. It's going to be much larger than any other in the garden. So don't be discouraged. Jesus is confident that this rather unimpressive work happening right now will take off. The weeds planted by the devil cannot choke out this seed. This is one powerful seed. And if you have put your faith in Christ, that seed is alive in you. It's growing. It will be fruitful. And the next parable makes a similar point. Verse 33 says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That doesn't seem like a big deal. If you've made some bread, you sprinkle a little yeast in there, and then you got a little loaf. Well, that's pretty cool, and the yeast goes throughout the whole thing. But again, he's taking this idea of something small that permeates something big. Three measures of flour is enough to make 60 pounds of dough. How do you carry around that much dough? It just falls right through your arms as you're holding it. But all it takes is one little piece of leaven. Leaven technically isn't least yeast. Leaven is the piece of dough that you tear off the previous piece of dough and you save it and you put it in little envelopes and you mail it to all your friends so they can start some Amish friendship bread. No, you save it for yourself so that you can then make another piece of dough. And that little piece will permeate the whole Thing. Just like that little mustard seed, it looks tiny, but it's going to have a slow, steady, powerful impact. God knows what he's doing. These parables are stories that assure us of that. God is in control. He will not lose his kingdom to the devil. He will keep his own safe. But not only that, slowly, quietly, subtly, persistently, his seed will thrive. And it will spread to fill the entire earth with his glory. But you might be thinking, okay, so he gave us these nice stories. I could make up cute little stories too to encourage you to stay faithful. How do I know that God is actually working in real life, not in just nice stories? So Matthew gives us a little quote from Psalm 78, verse 2, to remind us this is how God has always been at work. Verses 34 and 35, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. At first glance, this just looks like Matthew's looking back and finding a prophecy that says, you know, when the Messiah comes, you know it's going to be him because he's going to speak in parables. And then here's Jesus speaking in parables. He must be the Messiah. And while that's true, there's so much more going on here. If you go back and read all of Psalm 78, you see the psalmist recounting God's work from the beginning, saying he rescued Israel from nobody, from nothing. He raised them out of one man, turned them into a nation, rescued them from Israel, brought them to the height of kingdom glory under David and Solomon. If you look all the way back to the beginning, this, these parables are exactly what God has been doing. He planted a garden in the beginning. He planted his faithful seed in there. And Satan comes along his enemy and tries to destroy the garden. But God says, we will return to my garden. We have that hope that one day he's going to restore the garden. He's going to take away all of the bad seed, the weeds, and we are going to live in joy forever in his kingdom. That kingdom of Israel fell. They fell away. But there's one coming that will never fall. Indeed, it's beginning in a similar way, in a quiet, unimpressive way. This is how God's always worked. He calls the little guy. He heals the weak and makes them strong. He exalts the unimpressive, the unknown people. And he loves to use the most unlikely people because when he does, he gets all the credit for it. Nobody can say, oh man, he's a really smart guy. Boy, Jake and Adam, they sure are great preachers. No, he puts fools like us in the pulpit so he can get all the credit. And so when you trust in him, even in the middle of your suffering, you can be sure that he will sustain you because He's in the business of making himself known through our weakness. You might not experience the powerful, dramatic deliverance that you want right now, but the weeds and seeds of Satan will not overcome you. The kingdom will endure. The seed that is alive in you will grow. And Christ guarantees you will be a partaker in the joys of that kingdom. And that's where Matthew turns us back in verses 36 to 43. He shifts our minds forward again, where we're headed. Jesus explains the parable of the weeds. He says, he's the farmer. He's the one who cast all this good seed out there. And the devil is that deceiver, that dastardly enemy who comes in and plants all the weeds. And the weeds are unfaithful people. The seed, the good seed, are faithful people. This is an important thing for us to distinguish, that the, the world is the field, not the church. Sometimes people will read this parable and say, oh, this is about the church. And there might be a mixed group in the church. And so we should be careful not to keep out the people who are unfaithful, who are rebellious, who are unrepentant, because you might hurt the faithful ones and the repentant ones. But we know that can't be true because multiple places in the New Testament, we're told the church should be kept pure and holy. We hold one another accountable. If someone's in unrepentant sin, God forbid, we'll have to ask them to leave and, and not be members of this church family anymore. The church should be pure. This is our witness to the world. 
But this parable is about the world. This encourage us, encourages us not to worry when those outside of the church are pressing in on us, when suffering and persecution comes our way. We don't fight back. We don't start a revolution. We don't go online and enter into endless debates, fruitless debates. The kingdom of God is not going to spread throughout this world by us trying to uproot the infidels. Instead, we trust in the steady work of God to do what he has always been doing, to bring justice. It is coming. History has shown us this. God has been doing this for thousands of years, and Jesus is just picking up on that and saying, you can trust me. I know what I'm doing. The angels are going to come at the end of the age and reap the harvest. They will gather together all those who oppose Christ, pile them up into one pile, and cast them into the fire. Friends, this is a very serious warning that hell is real. He's going to gather those who don't trust him and cast them into the unquenchable fires of hell. Just because you're here at a church gathering doesn't make you part of the church. It doesn't make you good seed. Just because you know some Christian words or you've opened a Bible once or twice before doesn't mean that you're suddenly part of the good, faithful wheat. The weeds actually look a lot like wheat sometimes. But soon enough, your wheat deeds will be exposed. The grain heads of your weeds will come to light. And God says he's going to, in the end, send you into the burning fire. So if you fear today that you might be among the weeds, friends, repent now. Trust in Christ now. Don't wait till that day. Only in Christ will you enjoy the rest in the shade of the large kingdom tree. Only in Christ will you endure the attacks of the enemy. Only in Christ will you become a large portion of dough that feeds the nation's bread of life. Only in Christ can you be, as verse 43 says, the righteous who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. It's in the Son of God that you become righteous, that you will shine with joy. If you're in Christ today and you are facing those temptations, those trials, the suffering, you can trust that He will sustain you. Hear these parables. Take them in to the good soil of your heart and receive them as a promise that He will sustain you. See that God has been faithful all throughout history and He will carry you to the end so that you will shine like the sun in His kingdom. And if you can't see it, trust Him to give you eyes. This seed at work in you is far bigger than you realize. God loves working through small things and turning them into big things. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's story, The Last Battle, the final story of the Chronicles of Narnia. And right near the end of the story, the battle has been going on and, and escalating. The dark kingdom of darkness seems to be closing in, and there's only a few faithful people left. And they look around and they don't know what to do, so the kings and the faithful servants of Aslan they see this rickety old stable that everyone's afraid to go into. And they fling the door open and dive in and slam the door shut behind them to hide. And when they stand up and dust 
the, the dirty stable dirt off of them, they look up and they're in shock. They look up and the sky is blue above them. And there's vast landscapes all around them. What's going on here? We, we went into a stable and we entered into a different world. And Lord Diggory says, it's bigger, it's inside is bigger than it's outside. It's inside is bigger than it's outside. This is the seed of God's kingdom. This is how God's work. The seed of the kingdom is much bigger than its outside appears. The seed is strong enough to endure the enemy, strong enough to grow into a large tree, strong enough to permeate the entire world. Even our king began this way. He was born in a stable, a little baby, ordinary baby, and he grew up the son of a carpenter learning a trade, and he hung out with ordinary people. He was a good teacher, and then he died on the cross among criminals. Who is this guy? What kind of seed is this, this pathetic, fragile little seed? Until they buried him in the ground. And he burst from the grave and revealed himself to be God, more powerful than death, who spread his kingdom throughout the earth. The reason we can say that's true is because here we are, people on the other side of the world, thousands of years later, who have received this good news. Friends, God is still at work in this way. And this church is a seed as well. We're ra rather unimpressive people. One somewhat famous pastor once said, the local church is the hope of the world. What an audacious, ridiculous thing to say. Look at you guys. You're the hope of the world. Ordinary, suffering, broken, tired people sitting in a cafeteria on some old squeaky chairs just trying to figure things out, trying to figure out how to survive the week. We're the hope of the world? Yet contained in this is something far bigger than what's on the outside. It's inside is far bigger than the outside. The Holy Spirit dwells in us who trust in Christ. Our steady, ordinary, faithful love towards one another is going to permeate this entire world. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they couldn't do it. But because the Spirit is in us, now we will do it. And He's returning us to the garden where we, the church, the seed of a church, will grow to be a large, faithful place of rest for many. It's not some big fancy show where you come here to be entertained. It's not some professionally organized program with a seven-step plan to reach all of Rochester. But love, gospel love that transforms one person and spreads to another, and spreads to another, and spreads outside of us until the whole earth is filled. So remember when your trials come, if you are in Christ, this seed is at work in you. It's growing. It's going to thrive. And one day, you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. God, we long for that day. Our sufferings do produce in us hope. Our trials produce in us endurance. They shape us to be pure and righteous. And they also create in us a longing to be with you forever. So would you please send Jesus back now? Make that true today. 
And until then, help us to be confident that you are working, that this seed will grow, and the nations will come to you as we exalt Christ. Amen.